You are now listening to the Bishop Stortford Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, and I'm going to read from the message. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try and figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Picture this. I am woken up in the early hours of the morning. It's one of these nights during this past week where we've had a severe storm. The noise of the gusting wind has woken me and I stand at the back window facing the direction that the storm is coming from. And there's gusts that are throwing things about the garden and occasional rain hitting the window, lashing, making a noise. It's a stormy night. And I'm looking at all the stuff that's going on around that I can see in the light of the street lights and so on. And then I noticed actually that there's the clouds scudding overhead. Um, and above that is the moon and the occasional star that you can see. And as I'm standing there, I come to the realization again that there are different realities. At this moment, at this place where I am, what I can immediately see is a storm. But there's another reality that's going on that's way beyond my small vision of of what's actually happening. And it made me think of this passage, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try and figure out everything on your own. We so often think that we know exactly how things work, how God works, how God thinks, We've got him sussed. And this just says, listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. And I came to reflect again then on the passage from 2 Samuel chapter 7. It's not one that would perhaps immediately spring to your mind, but it's a picture of David as he's come through all the vicissitudes of his life, and there have been many, and he's now thoroughly established as king. He's brought the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem. They've settled in, uh, he's settled in at the palace, essentially. And it says in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, that God had given him rest from all his enemies. And then it says this, And then God says to Nathan the prophet, here I am, sorry, David says to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a palace of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan says to the king, David, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it for the Lord is with you. That night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan and essentially God comes to Nathan and he says to him, to go and tell David that he should build a house for him to live in. And over the next 10 or 15 verses, there's this uh, detailed message that God gives Nathan. He says, now tell this to my servant David. This is what the Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. Further on, he says, now I will make your name great. 
And after a couple of promises, it says this, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. In verse 12, he says, I will raise up your offspring to to succeed you. Further on, it says, I will establish his kingdom. Verse 13, he is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. Now, he's obviously speaking directly then of Solomon. And then in verse 16, your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And then Nathan reports that to David and tells him the entire revelation. And then immediately David goes to prayer. And it's, 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 it's worth a read for a prayer in 2 Samuel 7 from verse 19 onwards, where David pours out his heart to God. It's wonderful. But this then became the established norm. David rules, um, Solomon follows on, and then there is um, the establishment. And there is Israel established as a northern and southern kingdom. There's different kings. But there is the sense of established truth. God had said to David, he will establish his kingdom and his house shall endure forever and ever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So far, it looks good. But as time continues and the kings become more and more um, conscious of doing their own thing, there's a, there, there's a loss of trust in the Lord. There's a loss. People move away. The, the thing becomes established and they live in the certainty of this kind of promise that there's nothing that's going to happen. And their understanding of it is that it's okay. We are going to be here. This is established forever and ever. That's why when the uh, kingdom collapses and they are taken into exile, it is so traumatic. What about God's promise? How had they, they had seen this as established forever and ever. They had a view of what it was. Now, it's easier for us as we sit with the, the perspective of probably two and a half, three thousand nearly years of history in between. And Jesus has come and has established. And we can go and look at some of the passage from, from uh, John's Gospel, John 1, 11, uh, 14 and 18, where it, it's, you, you see again the, the Father and the Son and the relationship. And we can, with hindsight, look at Jesus and see him as established on the throne of David. And Matthew's genealogy, which which ties this all in together and, and traces the line through, it's not the established line that Israel had thought. They thought that the world had collapsed. And when you read some of the Psalms, Psalm 89, for example, it's a most remarkable psalm. Um, uh, Ethan the Ezraite actually wrote it, apparently. And I, I will declare that your love stands firm forever that you established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. The psalmist looks at this, and then as you go through Psalm 89, there's this questioning that starts to take place. 
but God, what's happened to you? Why did you, why did you do this? And I think that we, we have a perspective. I'm standing looking at the storm, and as I look down from my upstairs window in my garden, it's chaos. There's all sorts of things going on. That's the one reality. But as I look up, and I see the, the, the clouds scudding overhead, beyond all of that, there are the stars and the moon, the, the settledness of the cosmos. And in the moment, it looks like things are chaotic, but God is in control. Trust in the Lord from the bottom of your heart. Don't try and figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. So there's this established truth in Israel. This will go on forever. And they saw it as one particular thing. And the trauma of exile... Uh, led to a whole period in their history of of um, agonizing over what this looked like, and I still think has ramifications into the into the current situation in this world. We don't always know what's going on, but God does, and I think that there is a a, a real sense in this passage from David's life. And from what happens in the history of Israel, for us to understand that God sees the entire picture. We can trust him. We can put our faith in him in a way that everything he says is trustworthy. We may not understand exactly how it's working out right now. But if God says it, then we can actually bank on it. It's there. We might see things in a particular way now. To give you another example of this from a New Testament perspective, um, if you look at the book of Acts, there's a fascinating thing. I've always been intrigued by this, that Luke writes an account of the early church and how the gospel is spread throughout what was then the known world. And you have in Acts chapter 9 his account of Saul's conversion. And it's it's detailed. It has reported language. Um, he reports um, what God said to Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you are persecuted. And so there is this vivid imagery of Paul's conversion. Paul, who is going about persecuting, tying up uh, Christians and bringing them back, the people of the way, bringing them back to to uh, Jerusalem, to the to the Pharisees, to the Sanhedrin, but also um, overseeing the death of people like Stephen. And you think, okay, well, he's reported that in detail. But then when you get to chapter 22 of Acts, again, you have Paul's conversion reported as he's come back to Jerusalem after all his wandering around in his journeys. He comes back to Jerusalem and there's a whole lot going on here. After his arrival, he's arrested in Jerusalem. And in chapter 22, um, he addresses the crowd and he says, and he basically gives his testimony of how he was converted. And again, in detail, again with reported language, Luke records his entire thing all over again. I think it's important for this reason, or there's probably many reasons, but this is one of the reasons I think that that Luke reports this um, thing twice. Paul was absolutely certain that he was doing what was right. 
He was following the Lord. He was trusting in God with his whole heart, in a sense. He was um, doing what he understood was right. And he wasn't having any of this of the Christians, the, the, the people of the way, the disciples of the way, um, polluting, if you like, what was then the pure religion of Israel. And it takes God to arrest him, to stop him in his tracks with a, with a blinding light, a revelation, with a healing, with a, a man who comes with humility to him. It's actually quite um, incredible to, to, um, to read it again. I read it this week again, where um, Ananias, this disciple of Jesus who's in Damascus at that stage, the Lord says to him, go, go and pray for this guy. And he says to the Lord, I know this man. I've, I've heard a whole lot of reports from him. Uh, are you sure? And so he goes and he prays and, he's, and Paul sees, sees again. He receives his sight. Now, it's obviously physical. But there is a sense also where in the story, this whole thing of sight and seeing is again um, both on a physical level, but also on a deeper level in the sense that Paul begins to see what it is that God is actually doing. And I just feel as we approach this year that we need to stop again and recognize that we only know a little bit. We only know a small portion of what's happening. We, we don't even fully know what's going on around our own lives, let alone in the in the larger picture. And so there is a need for us, I think, to um, stop and again place ourselves in trust with God and say, you know, Jesus in Philippians 2, we've read this so often, um, where uh, it says um, that Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. There was no arrogance. There was no... There was no pride. There was no sense of, well, I know what's going on. Even when you read in John's gospel, um, and there are so many different passages. If you look in um, John 5, I think it is, there's a whole passage between the Father and the Son. And the humility of Jesus as the Son with the Father is that he's basically saying, I only do what I see my Father doing. I only do my Father's will. And I think... That sense of humility, James picks up on it, Peter in his letter, his first letter picks up on it. Um, Peter quotes from Proverbs 3, which we read earlier, a little bit further on in verse 34. He says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. I think we need to constantly be reminded that we approach life, we approach our world, we approach God with a deep and profound sense of who we are and who he is. That we trust God from the bottom of our heart. We don't try and figure everything out on our own. There is more going on than meets the eye. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all.
God bless you. I'll see you on Sunday at the Chateau Cafe. Thank you.